It was one of the wildest endings of this EuroLeague season. I believe that this last possession, starting from the block of Dalton yeah. Thomas, uh, going to this crazy shot by Costello, will be top three, top five uh, plays of the season. Of course, we're missing something because usually every week you have something extraordinary. But this, this is with the block and with the shot. I mean, it was incredible. I'm trying to think if we already had a better moment than this sequence. You know, the block and the shot together during during the whole. Okay, season. we had Mike James, three and one play, which was also. I mean, but, but it's it's a miracle to win a game to yeah. go to send the game into overtime, being uh, four po points down in the last possession. It's huge. But that's, you know, a block and a game-winning shot. Mm -hmm. So you're not going into overtime. You're not leaving any time to the opponent. And and that block was just something else. I mean, Walter Tavares had that ball in the rim, actually, or already. And uh, Holmes had to time it per simply perfectly in my eyes. It was like one little moment later and the ball is all the two points is for Real Madrid and they win the game. Yeah, and Probably. blocking Tavares, not just because of his height, but also the strength he puts in dunking the ball. For a guy like Hamas, it's it's incredible. And for me, the highlight of this highlight is actually this block. Uh, I'm not taking away any credit from Costello's shot because it's also ridiculously shot. Um, I mean, he just said that he didn't. He basically didn't see the rim. He just released the shot. And uh, that's Rudy, all. Rudy was there, uh, right, right there, <laughs> exactly, with, exactly. With his hand, hand up. But my biggest highlight of that highlight was that. Hamas blocked that shot, although like a couple of weeks ago, just before the signing deadline, Basconia was seriously uh, exploring the market to sign somebody because they had some concerns over his uh, health. He has some mm. knee issues, I think. And, you know, it was that serious that they thought about bringing another player. Now okay. he shows up. I mean, we're not sure if he can stay uh, healthy consistently, but I mean, he shows up in like week or two, probably just one week, and he, you know, blocks that shot and basically puts the ground for the incredible win of Basconia. So that's huge for for Hamas because he's a really important piece of that Basconia team. Although he's not the top scorer, yeah. not the most let's say efficient, more, most highlight real player, but he's just doing all those small things that helps them to win games. Huge for Holmes and huge for Basconia because nobody was actually, you know, when predicting the final eight, nobody was expecting them to win uh, away from home because they were, they are pretty terrible playing uh, not in Fernando Buesa Arena and to win at Madrid in such fashion is a huge bump in there and in the final race for the top eight because we see that nobody this week, uh, the main contenders, you know, Maccabi, did not lose. Uh, Jalgiris got two uh, important wins. FS lost both. FS lost both, but you know. But I think Basconia could have done better. I mean, after after what they did in Madrid, basically expectations were to finish the double game week with two wins, and at home versus Monaco, they were without Mike James. Uh, I'd say they don't feel as happy as they they could after this double game week. What yeah. happened in Madrid was awesome, but uh, that crazy game with Monaco, uh, when you had Marcus Howard so hot and Darius Thompson dishing assists all over the place, um, probably expected them to win, but... Uh, it just mm -hmm. erased their huge I mean, win in Madrid, probably. Knowing that they're a very good home team in, in Buesa Arena, arena it, after beating Real Madrid, you were really close to the, getting a small advantage in the standings. The and expectations changed you know, after you, you know, after the mm -hmm. game in Madrid. 
So that again just proves that uh, even the highest highs and the lowest lows in the Euroleague don't matter really because after beating Real Madrid away from home with that block and that crazy shot, you might feel like like a world beater, but then two days later you're losing at home and once again you're stuck in this crazy situation where um, four teams have 15 wins and basically nobody knows who who's gonna qualify for the playoffs so uh i actually enjoyed both of their games because basconia plays that uh really entertaining style of basketball so that game with monaco was also a must watch i would say but in the end i just couldn't cope with with Elio kobo and it, it was just poor defending poor one-on-one -on -one defense i mean at times uh, kobo was left against marcus howard and it was just so easy for him to create his own shot and it it, it was about who's gonna miss first because both teams were creating good opportunities, but uh, Basconia just they they were the first to miss some shots and lost it. I mean, you know, looking at the percentages, Basconia had the Basconia were seventy two percent from two, and had sixteen frees at shooting at forty nine yeah. percent from free, and you lose the game. Looking at the box score, th this doesn't even seem you know possible when you're shooting seventy two and you knock down. 16 free pointers it seems like okay what happened but you know 17 turnovers uh monaco had almost as much offensive rebounds as Bas as basconia had defensive yeah. rebounds so almost every second possession had a second chance and uh, yeah uh, that's a lot of credit to to moneke to uh, john brown donta hall these guys were fighting for rebounds like crazy especially chima moneke he's a newcomer and so far this has been his best game best performance a double double uh and you know these these games in buesa they have these nba regular season vibes because so often yeah. you can see basconia scoring 100 or more so often you see teams uh, hitting double digit uh, numbers in three point shooting and basically this this is what you expect when you have basconia versus monaco and this week we have basconia versus maccabi Again, playing you, home, can, you can expect. Right? Uh, I think Maccabi's playing at home. Does it really matter? Yeah. Both teams. <laughs> I at mean, home, like <laughs> I, I'm just saying that you can expect fireworks and be a regular season. Yeah. Speaking of, type Fer of game. Fernando Boesa, it was their f it was the fifth 100 point game in Fernando Boesa this season. So out of 14 home games, Basconia had five of them. You know, ending up with somebody scoring. Mo in most cases, Basconia uh, they were scoring over 100. We need Darius Garwalis uh, with another you know fact check. How many there were games when any team scored 100 points, and how many in in, in how many of those games Basconia were in that? Yeah, that's game. a good that task. Could, that could be uh, an a nice tweet. So, by the way, after recent performances, Darius Thompson is leading the league in in assists, and it's crazy to know that he has three consecutive double doubles. Three games wow. in a row, he has a double double. Versus Valencia, uh, sixteen points, eleven assists. Versus Real Madrid, eighteen points, fourteen assists. Versus Monaco, twenty points, twelve assists. So that's three consecutive double doubles. I mean, this guy is, is is special. When when he joined Krasnodar last year, I remember that before the season, uh, I was in Antalya Cup, uh, and there were doubts if actually Darius Thompson can play for the team like Krasnodar, who, which was you know aiming for the Euro Cup title. And now one year, okay, one and a half year later, he replaced Kalinetis uh, in Krasnodar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now one year and a half later, look at those two players and and 
what kind of directions their careers took off. The league MVP. He replaced the league MVP and people were doubting him. That's crazy. That's a crazy improvement. Brind is his finest. So he had seven games with 10 or more assists and 11 games with eight or more assists. And his assist to turnover ratio is also very, very good, I would say, for a guy that has the ball in his hands all the time. He's averaging only 2.7 turnovers. So that's not not bad. And knowing that it's his first season in the EuroLeague, I, I think his ceiling is very high. I love watching him play because he always looks so calm. You know, uh, Basconia is a pretty emotional team. They go on these crazy runs. Marcus Howard is is a very streaky shooter. And at the same time, Darius Thompson is always so calm. And even before you had Pierre Henry, who is, you know, a really emotional player. guy. Yeah, and yeah. you don't know what you're going to get from him on, on each day. And Darius Thompson is just calm, cool, mm. collected. And, you know, you mentioned the sister Genova ratio, but his shooting splits, 54 and 41. Excellent. Yeah. Just just before we continue, Thompson. I want to... Dalton Hamas. I just wanted to clarify his surname because I also yeah, thought Hamas. that he was Hams, Hams. Okay. But he's Dalton Hamas. Hamas, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, a lot of wild events happened last week and we'll try to cover all of those uh, major highlights of the previous double round week, uh, uh, including the first matchup of the season uh, between Mirotic and Vizenkov. We will do something like a top eight tracker because we're just one month away uh, from concluding the regular season and there are still a lot of uncertain things uh, to discuss about the final playoff picture. Uh, we'll do some new uh, segments uh, of the podcast. We will uh, discuss uh, Sharas and his party in, in, in Athens that become public uh, because of some videos that were leaked on, on Twitter. And a lot of things we will discuss. So we already discuss the great ending uh, and Basconia uh, week. Uh, but what did you take from the first Mirotic and Vazenkov matchup? Watching them play for the first time uh, since Serg- Sergio Scariolo, Sergio Scariolo called Vazenkov the number one power forward in Europe right now. And it was actually the first matchup that they faced each other uh, on the court. I remember uh, Barcelona made a, Barcelona social media team made a quite big deal after that statement but uh, in this game it seemed like it was uh, it mattered much more for Sasha Vezenkov than for Mirotic and I think maybe because you know Nikola Mirotic is already established as you know one of the greats in Europe he played in the NBA uh, had a nice career there and Sasha is you know still up and coming superstar probably the MVP of the league and he still you know has to prove not only to himself, but also to others. And that's why he looked maybe a little bit impatient at times, I would say. And uh, definitely Miritich, you could say, won the individual matchup, even though I saw a lot of times, you know, Miritich was defended even by Papa Nicolaou on a lot of occasions. So uh, an interesting matchup. Uh, I was surprised actually how many times Miritich scored on those high seals. Yep against Olympiakos switches where like all almost all of his two pointers came a switch happens he seals his man up front mm-hmm. and Barcelona create a really nice situation where nobody from Olympiakos can really come and help yeah. from the weak side and there were more than few occasions where Vizenkov or uh, other guys who were switched on the uh, on a uh, Mirotic were like hey man where is the help and 
everyone else is around the free point line so yeah we can't we can't do anything like we are too far away to help you you got to do something by yourself and that was that was a great you know as always you know game planning and yeah. preparation uh, from uh, from Jesse Cavages but I think uh, Mirotic showed that he's getting slowly into that shape and I know there's no concern in Barcelona's uh, camp that he's going to be his true self when when playoff comes for sure for sure he's proving that on the court I mean you could see the difference of the experience and maturity uh, approaching this uh, matchup and it doesn't mean that this uh, this quote by Sergio Scariolo doesn't mean anything to Mirotic because he also made some statements you know uh, showing that for sure he he hears all the outside noise that is happening around those two guys but yeah I mean watching Vazenkov it probably was the most anxious Vazenkov edition I've saw in last couple of years actually and he was just missing his you know his usual casual shots that he's making and those uh, situations where uh, uh, Mirotic sealed his position for an easy layup I mean Vazenkov probably at least in a couple of them so uh, Mirotic mm -hmm. was just killing him uh, offensively and Vazenkov couldn't respond but what I liked the most about Vazenkov that he still recovered for the second uh, half uh, for the second half in the first half he was like one of eight uh, on, on field goal shooting and this, in the second half he scored 10 points and I think that five of them were in the fourth quarter and including the, in the last dagger three-pointer which basically uh, clinched the, the victory for, for Olympiago. So I liked that, you know, Bezenkov one more time although it was not the greatest game for him personally. He was outscored, uh, outscored by Mirotic, I would say outplayed by Mirotic but when it really mattered for Olympiacos he made an adjustment uh, he calmed his game down, I would say, and he hit those important shots that Olympiacos expects him to make. I and mean, that's, uh, go easy. I mean, in Europe, it's never going to be about a matchup. It's, it's yeah. just about Olympiacos winning games. And for people, it's it's, it's always going to be more about Borsokos versus Sharas than Mirotic versus Vizenkov. And also, it's not like these guys are some lockdown defenders that we could see this matchup as as a potential battle on the court, hmm. both players getting under each other's skin. It, it's just not about that. And, and you know, both of them, I mean, Mirotic and Vizenkov are team-dependent stars. It's not like we're talking about two point guards. Like, when we, if, you, if you have Lorenzo Brown versus Vasa Mitic, you can expect some things, some fireworks. Uh, in this case, Barca has so many plays for Mirotic, basically where he just needs to be at the right uh, place, in the right place at the right time. And Vezenkov, basically, he scores without, uh, without, without dribbling. Ball, without dribbling, without but you dribbling, still need yeah. the passes from your teammates yeah, to arrive. So uh, th that's the thing. To me, this game, I know there was some hype about this matchup, but Barcelona Olympiacos to me is not about Mirotic versus Vezenkov. Uh, of course, it's very important to say that Olympiacos now has a head-to-head -head advantage over Barca after winning both games. And it's clear that Olympiacos is running away with the regular season title, if you could say. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that important because the first seed never won the EuroLeague. Home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Oh, wait, the playoffs and yeah, the, the quarterfinals. <laughs> the quarterfinal. But I mean, it's just a nice thing to have the, the number one seed, I think. And... And also, if you're talking about uh, Vizenkov's MVP campaign, it will definitely help, help. if his team finishes first. So, uh, but anyways, I, I'd say that Olympiacos is again proving that they're the best shaped team right now in Europe because they can find a way to win games even when 
not necessarily everything is clicking. For example, Vezenkov's, you know, yeah. he wasn't on point yeah, because in this game. We, we got used to watching their uh, very fluid basketball with ball movement, people making shots, people being in the right positions, good spacing and everything. Yeah, but sometimes you face those challenges where you face a team like Barcelona with, with their strategy and you might feel uncomfortable, but they still manage to win. And that's the big thing to me about Olympiacos. To me, the big thing is that, you know, we're saying how Vizenkov is the first three quarters player because of how dependent he is from uh, the passes from the others. And, you know, it's easier to score off the ball in the first three quarters than in the fourth yeah. when everyone is focused and concentrated on defense extra, you know, 100%. And to me that he scored those last five points in a bad game just shows, you know, his maturity and his... Despite, despite the bad game he had, he still had the mind and, and, and the right mentality to score in the end when it mattered the most. So I think uh, I agree with Dritis, you know, it's never about two players in Europe, but I just looking at matches like this, I'm like, okay, but what would happen if we had the series, you know? Because one series, only the quarterfinal doesn't really create those stories. Maybe, yeah. you know, play, play of series in semifinals and finals would create, you know, uh, rivalries mm -hmm. between players, not not only between the, the teams, but also between players, because right now only one matchup and you don't really get, you know, the next season you have only two matches against those two teams. So really no rivalries between players. Unless we see them, let's say, in, uh, in, in the final and both performing on a very yeah. high level, then of course you would have a story. But uh, in regular season, I do agree. Because so far we're still living with memories of of Papa Nicola versus Dwayne Bacon, <laughs> like the greatest matchup in Euroleague <laughs> playoff history, you know. Yeah, it's crazy that actually Olympiakos won against the currently third best Euroleague team with an average game of Vizenkov, him being only five of sixteen uh, field goal shooting. Costas Lucas, uh, the main point guard who orchestrates this great offense of Olympiakos team, was only one of six and scored three points in nineteen minutes. And what I love the most is that basically this game was won by the second unit. If starting from Lorenzakis, just shooting those, you know, I don't care about anything three-pointers in the second quarter. Then Shaq McKissick. And later in the fourth quarter, basically, uh, okay, Vazenkov scored those five important points, but the rest of the points were scored by the second unit players. And also, uh, thanks to Alec Peters, also Tariq Black, uh, who in some games he's playing like five, seven, eight minutes. Uh, sometimes you can question, you know, his Because he always gets position. in foul trouble. <laughs> that's part of his task actually on the court five, as well, being physical, but this, this time he was super important. And I mean, the second unit basically won the game for, for Olympiacos this time. Just one, once again, great example that proves that Olympiacos is not only about Pezenkov, not only about Slukas, but it's a, the most complete team in the EuroLeague, I would say. Five offensive rebounds for Tariq Black, five fouls as well. And uh, was it you who mentioned that Lorenzakis uh, wasn't quite in shape recently? Could be. I think it was a text message from you. Could be, could be. We were talking about him yeah, for some we reason. We were talking about some some uh, players on expiring contracts who oh, are yeah, on the yeah, rise, yeah. but I said, hey, but this guy was just killing the first part of the season. I don't feel comfortable putting him in my article. He, and now he, he, heard, he, yeah, heard he took message. care of, of me putting him on the article again. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I didn't uh, mention in, this, in our introduction um, First of all, I didn't even say hi to our listeners. Ritis Vizhnauskas, Augustus Shlauskas, and Donatas Urbanas. We are here for you to share our uh, thoughts about basketball, but also what also helps us to make 
bigger things on the European media uh, platform is just doing some simple steps from your side, liking this video or podcast, uh, and also subscribing to our channel uh, because not only you will get the podcast uh, alerts or just will be updated with the, our newest episodes, but we'll also do a lot of other stuff, including the greatest highlights of those big games. Also, Augustus is always providing with his video breakdowns and we have this great WhatsApp community where you can feel even uh, more closer uh, to our content creators and uh, with our community, which is really active uh, during game days, uh, game days and uh, around all this stuff that is happening. We have some great offers right now. For instance, you can buy a three month subscription for basically the price of uh, one month. So basketnews.com slash plus, uh, this is a must if, you, uh, if you're a European hardcore uh, basketball fan. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, Basconia was covered, Olympiacos Barcelona was covered as well. And the next topic I have on my list is making a big deal of Sharas having great time in in Athens. Uh, I, f I mean, by saying making it a big deal, I mean that it was published both on basketnews.com, it was published both on Mundo Deportivo, uh, the, probably the biggest sports media outlets in, in, in Spain at least uh, considering the basketball coverage. Also, it was, of course, big deal in Lithuania. But the question is, sounds like this. Saras shot as parting in the, during the double round week between two big games. Is it something, is it nothing, or is it everything? <laughs> I mean... I already know the comments. Basically, basically... Based on our answers. <laughs> you you want the coach to have the same treatment that the player has, right? Um, but anyways, I think that Sharas, I don't know him personally, I don't talk to him or anything like that, but from what I know or uh, I've heard that when he's traveling these double game weeks, he's meeting his friends in different cities, he, he will always go out or at least uh, sit down with some friends uh, to spend a good good night uh, I mean and it, it just doesn't always get on camera but there are a lot of players that go to a nightclub after a game whether they lose or win so or before it, the game when they play uh, I mean in Belgrade, for example it's 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 more about like setting an example or what you do there if you go to a nightclub it doesn't necessarily mean you 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 get hammered uh, but maybe you're just having a good time with your friends. So I don't honestly have a problem with Yesikavich just being at a concert or, or where he was. It, it, it's just, an, it's very unfortunate that things like that get on camera. Somebody uh, releases those videos and then people, people start talking about it. Then your club has to react in some way. And I do agree that um, if you're expecting your players to be disciplined off the court, as the coach, you you should set an example. But what I don't like is is people having this opinion that if they win the game, then he has the right to go out with his friends and family. Yeah. If they lose if the they game, lose. he needs to be locked behind, I don't know, six locks and just stay at home and analyze to the think game. Think about that game. Analyze yeah. the game. Suffer from, yeah. from that yeah. loss. Cry, suffer, and everything. It, I mean, it, that's that's just life. People are, are living their lives. Uh, what do I care how they relax? 
whether they if if they want to party they party if they want to uh, play computer games they play computer games it's just that when you're a pro uh there are certain boundaries and i hope that Charles being a very experienced basketball professional realizes those things i mean but but of course it would be a bigger deal if if let's say uh not a coach but a player would be caught on camera somewhere celebrating. That's what I actually don't like the most about the situation. Yeah. Because if that was a player, he probably would have been disciplined. I'm not saying that Barca should discipline Sharas. I just don't like the whole perception of players yeah. going out but and we, the we, way it's uh, it's it's put on, on on public, basically. But we don't even know, you know, what time it was. You know, he was with his wife. So imagine a player going out with his wife after, you know, mm. in, on during the day off, uh, and you are not playing on Thursday. Yeah, and I mean, it's I, I really don't care. About I mean, it. it's just social media that you know. In nowadays, this is the price of being a famous person. I mean, I saw that video, and people, most of the majority of the people, were filming the other way. But Charles was there, and some people, because they knew who Charles is, were filming him because he is partying. Oh, look! And that's you know, I like social media. I like that the, the the advantage it give it gives us, you know, in in everyday's life, but this is the, the 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 worst part of it you yeah. know you are filming not the concert but you're filming a basketball coach who is out there having a great time with his wife in a in a concert that maybe the the singer that he likes and we, with his friends if there was a player there with a wife would you have a problem probably someone else would have filmed it but me personally like w what is the problem and and the fact that it's in greece i mean uh, Greece means a lot to Sharas and his family. What do you They're expect in Athens. To, to sit him in a yeah. in a hotel? And and that's <laughs> like during the season he has two chances to visit Athens when they face Pau and when they face Oli. And even though it was a double round week, they had two days off, uh, two empty days between those games. So it's another part. And I mean, and players do go out as well. I mean, it's not, it's not, I don't have problem only with the Oscaps, but if, if the player would have done the same and they exactly. do the same, but not every time it gets out on the social media, you know, and not every time the, the, the post uh, gets seen uh, 100,000 times, you know, on Twitter. I mean, I remember when uh, Vilnius had a team in EuroLeague, uh, that was Leto Vosritas at the time. If you go out on on Friday night after Rita's played a played a yearly game, you could find a certain head coach in a certain casino. <laughs> you can find uh, certain players in certain nightclubs. What's the big deal? <laughs> People, I, I, I don't see a most of sports fans. They don't realize that basketball world, just sports world in general, in general, it's not the world of Forrest Gumps who are just make who are innocent and making the right decisions being sober all the time they're just the same human being like we do and we also even have, we have work to do yeah. on, on from um, monday to friday we also go out so we also do some stuff and that's that's okay with that i just don't get why sports fans wants to control the uh free time that those uh, players coaches executives anybody included mm. has i mean you know that how, how, what why, why they, they want really, to make them robots they really care about uh the the, the athletes sleep <laughs> yeah <laughs> too much you know you know they care about their own sleep probably less than about your favorite teams coaches or players exactly. sleep you know at, at the end of the at the end of the day of course you're a representative of a basketball club, whether you're a coach or a player, right. right? So I would say there are certain limits. 
getting absolutely wasted and, and, and drunk in public probably is not acceptable doing during a, a double game week. Doing a jamoran <laughs> probably, you know, is not accept acceptable, you know. Well, uh, on that, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it just depends about which part of jamoran we're mm -hmm. talking about. I mean, being in a strip club to me is also not, not a exactly. problem. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but, but the thing you is know, that you know, I, was, I, was not I know you're about talking probably about some other stuff, but uh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, like if if someone's getting drunk, over partying, uh, partying till seven a.m. or whatever during a double game week, that is a problem. It has to be dealt dealt with by by the club and everybody else. Internally. But if somebody is just out there having a good time, what's the issue then? I mean, I also think that until it doesn't affect your preparation for the game or your presence during the game, it really doesn't matter how long that guy is parting, whether it's like 12 o'clock at night or even 7 in the morning. I mean, if he, if that specific person is in his best shape during games, yeah. I mean, that that's what it's all about. Because you cannot say that Barca is unprepared for early games. You cannot say that uh, Sharas is lacking of some perfect decision making uh, during those uh, big games I mean when it matters for him he's always there and he's doing his best and basketball players coaches also they just have a bit different um, ways of uh, winding down I mean the level of adrenaline is so high that it's it's just different than just for some other regular people how to relax and as soon as they're there for the game and doing their best i mean it's not the problem it's not yeah it's not the problem of anybody else who are they doing the, and during you can't time even off. say that they had a bad game in istanbul later exactly they they, they had a decent game it's just that fenerbahce is a very good team uh it's not like we're encouraging uh yeah people to be dennis rodman's you know <laughs> like you said doesn't matter how long you party as long as you perform well there are some unique uh, performers that could party until 7 a.m and have a good game on, on the same day but uh that's very rare uh usually you need to know when when is the time and place to 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 relax and and do certain things uh but other than that it's just footage mm -hmm. of a guy being in a concert with his wife and singing that's it <laughs> yeah talking about unprepared there is this team the reigning champions actually <laughs> okay yeah. that were a little bit unprepared for their game against Maccabi you know yeah what was it the score 20 to 45 in the second quarter exactly I think. 20 to 45 in the 14th minute of the game I don't know it's just uh Playing at home. Playing at home. You are not in a playoff position. You are Oops. playing against your direct direct opponent for the for the last for one of the last spots, and you go out uh, with this much energy and that level of focus. To be like, I don't know. Uh, to be honest, in my eyes here, like FS don't really deserve to get to get into the playoffs. If they do, they have a favorable schedule. They have uh a lot of games at home but it was just you know another example of how they were unprepared for what Maccabi was about to offer like you know going into the game Maccabi are going to stunt from the strong side when you are driving 
and FS are just standing there. The two people on the on the side, on the strong side, are just standing, and you know, two turnovers in the first five minutes. Maccabi gets gets two steals, five easy points, thirty three points in first quarter. How, guess how many fouls they had with the uh, forty five seconds uh, to go? I guess two, two. three <laughs> three team fouls they had. The, the the guys are beating you off the dribble. You're not making any foul. On the other side of the court, however, John Bartolomeo gets a mismatch against Will Clyburn, I think, in the post. Foul immediately, you know, because that's how it's how it's done, how it should be done. And um, to me, you know, yeah, Maccabi made some tough shots to start the game with Baldwin hit some three pointers. They got into the rhythm, but it was just another example of how FS are allowing teams. To start easily, to feel good, and then you are just too late and trying to dig yourself out of the hole, and 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 it's just too too hard, you know. I mean, small small examples like fl flare screen on the strong side, there is no communication. Uh, they score a three pointer. Uh, Darren Hilliard is coming off a pin down screen. Will Clyburn tries to cut it under against the shooter. You get a two pointer. Uh, a flare screen for Bart Bartolomeo, and this is only in the first quarter. That, that the ones I saw flare screen Vasily misses is late is late, and this is how you arrive to the game. This is your attitude towards the game. Probably one of the most important ones during the season. It's I not, don't know. It's not the first time we're questioning their attitudes, but for me, what's the most alarming is actually their physical shape approaching the most important time of the season. I'm I not mean, saying attitude. I'm saying more attitude and preparation. Because you should know these things in the first quarter, you know. The game yeah. plan should be followed in the first quarter as much as in the other quarters. But you don't know these things, you're looking like you don't expect these things. Like you're coming into the game thinking, oh, we're going to score this and that like we always do, you know. We're going to see what defense they give they, the, the other team gives us. No, you should be coming and knowing already what to do, at least in the first quarter. Yeah, especially quarter. after this heavy loss in, in Belgrade, where you should bounce back when you're playing in your home gym uh, in, in front of those fans. But I mean, just j just to add, yeah, what's the most alarming for me that it's now it's also about bodies being not healthy. Mm. And that's what makes me alarm the most for the end of the regular season. I mean, Shane Larkin being in and out, uh, he missed a huge part of the first part of the season. Vasily Mincic, he still has issues with his knee and nobody knows how long it takes for him, you know, to return to his normal shape. Now we have Rodrigo Boa, who's one of the most consistent players uh, this year for FS, had a huge season. Now he's out of the ankle injury. Some other players are suffering. So uh, before, a few weeks bef uh, ago, I was very confident about them making the playoffs, maybe going deep uh, in the playoffs. But now, even even my confidence uh, just got back away a little bit, watching mm -hmm. them play, watching them not improving that much, and especially watching them being hurt. And I know it's FS. I know that one day they can show the best basketball like they did two months ago against Barcelona, but then they can lose to basically every team. But I'm just... I'm just, I start I start being more concerned about the playoff chances because not just because they're of uh, of the level of the game but also because of the situation in the standings as you mentioned they lost the game and number one they got swept by their direct head-to-head -head rival and they're basically playing do or die game against Partizan this week so it's it's a, in, they're in a tough situation. There's one thing I want to address basically from Maccabi's double game week because they faced mm. both both uh, Turkish clubs. Do you know what the number 51 stands for? That's the number of three pointers missed by Maccabi opponents in a double game week. 
That's 25 per game. 11 from 62. That's the number. The three-point shooting of Fenerbahce and FS mm. together versus Maccabi. And I'm not taking away anything from Maccabi because they played with great energy versus FS. They deserve to win that game versus Fenerbahce. They had to scramble, basically. <laughs> Somehow they got away with it. But they were lucky, especially in Fenerbahce game. How many open shots were missed? In Fenerbahce, yeah, but you know you can't say lucky. But they no, I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. they, they were lucky versus yeah, yeah. FS. They were the better team, obviously. But with better shooting, FS could have been in the game. But you have like Clyburno from six and, and all the other players missing shots. Some of them are wide open looks. Uh, so Maccabi is not known as a very good defensive team. No. It's not n normal that FS score 64 yeah. only. So uh, and, and they kept both teams, Fenerbahce and FS, uh, under 75 points. But if you analyze those games, it's not about the numbers. It's about how many of those shots were really contested shots. And not too many, I would say. <laughs> Especially in that Fenerbahce game where Goodrich was struggling, Wilbekin was struggling, everybody else. Uh, Dyson Pierre missed a lot of uh, spot-up shots. Dyson uh, Pierre got back to earth, you know, he, after shooting. All of them did. All of them did after, after well, 23 yeah. pointers versus uh, Bologna. But the thing is, for Maccabi, these are crucial wins. Uh, and you might have this um, fake uh, impression that, that they st all of a sudden became good defensively. I don't think they did. I think their opponents were just missing shots. But at the same time, uh, Lorenzo Brown playing together with Wade Baldwin was a huge question mark for me before the season. Right now, I would say they have good balance. You know, good chemistry. Everything's, between them. everything's working out. They're not a very deep team, but they always find these players that can help. Like John Di Bartolomeo was a true warrior in in the Fenerbahce game. He's the captain of the team. You have a, a player like Poitras injured, and Sorkin steps up in certain games. Uh, Bonzi Colson in the second part of the season is is, is looking like one of the top three small forwards in the league. So, you know, Maccabi deserves credit. They're in the playoff race. They they could be in the top eight. And and with the talent that they have, I, I think they would be an uncomfortable opponent, knowing that they're a very good home team also. But uh, it's just the thing. 11 from 62, man. That's the yeah. three-point shooting they faced during double game week. But we should probably give more props, as you said, yeah. to Wade Baldwin and and that um, you know backcourt combination because they really seem good together. Uh, when Brown was out, Lorenzo had you know he had some great games, but at the same time he was doing so much that he was having the highest peaks and the lowest of lows at the same game. You know, he could have 15-point quarter uh, and then have a minus six efficiency performance in the next one. It was just up and down. And now when you have Brown next to him, who is playing as the primary ball handler, you know, Wade Baldwin looks great. And uh, that's not something we were probably expecting. Mm. But, uh, but Maccabi are looking like a dangerous team, especially at home. 
Uh, and especially looking uh, forward to the next year, if they will continue to build on that. And what I like that they are extending the contracts with the core players like Lorenzo Brown. There's a huge hope that Baldwin will stay. And with making some of the roster adjustments that they can make, even with the, let's say, limited budget, I mean, they can be a really dangerous team for the next year. And yeah, now they're inconsistent. I, I, I see your point about, you know, having their opponents shooting by horrible uh, present, uh, percentages, uh, but that was, you know, kind of thing of their season already. They haven't won, uh, they, they just won three consecutive, consecutive games just once uh, this season. They're usually they're playing away horribly and being them being inconsistent is just part of their identity right now, but they can they can continue to improve on that. And um, the, the whole point, I mean, just as, as they say, no matter how they play, no matter what happened, the most important is that they got those wins. And those two wins this week, they were crucial. This double round week could, you know, build a, a path to the playoffs. I mean, winning against yep. the head-to-head -head rivals and also taking away uh, one victory from from the top five EuroLeague team. That's that's huge for the playoff hopes because I think that before this double round week, I have different feelings about their chances, but now they're in a great situation also given their uh, remaining schedule. Yeah, three of their next four games are played at home. They're the best home team in the league. As I said, they're facing Basconia now. I and and even their away games, Asphalt and Chalgiris. I think they are getting the sixth seed, to be honest with you. It looks possible. It, it, it definitely is possible right now after this double game week. And I like them. I like... Uh, Teams like Bacabi, Basconia, Monaco, these are my favorite teams to watch. So I, I do want to see them in the playoffs, actually. Last season, Maccabi was in the playoffs, but I would say randomly. And and they were not a playoff team. If you remember the Madrid series. In, in this case, yeah, they could cause some problems. Uh, could potentially cause some game fives <laughs> in the quarterfinals. For, sure. for sure, that would be great. <laughs> And and I do agree that the the main thing is chemistry. Basically, that's the question we had before the season: chemistry and coaching. We did not have question about the level of the talent yeah. mm -hmm. of yeah. Lorenzo Brown and Wade Baldwin. Like these two guys are incredibly talented. They can they can easily be a leader of uh, each of separate Euroleague team, like yeah. we saw Baldwin do with Bayern, and uh, you know Lorenzo Brown doing it for the previous teams, and and now doing it for Maccabi. So. Uh, it's actually nice that they're working so well together. Yeah. And also from Fenerbahce's side, I love the way they responded. They had a bad shooting night. Nobody was overthinking it. They knew that the reason we lost in Tel Aviv was bad shooting. That's it. There's nothing else you can say. Nothing else to analyze. We missed a lot mm -hmm. of open looks. And then they went to the other game with Barcelona. They had a terrible first quarter. But all of a sudden, in the second quarter, players were already fighting as it was a, a EuroLeague final. And that's what I loved about them. And, you know, now they have the complete roster uh, with Tyler Dorsey making his debut, with, with Nemanja Bielica getting more minutes. Uh, they're becoming also... Uh, yeah, the, a team to watch. The problem is the only problem is that Deshaun Pierre got injured. He's out for three more weeks. So that's sad because he was on a great run and yeah. he, he was always there for defense. But now he suddenly started making those shots. Uh, so his his loss is, is significant. And also, I, I just wanted to raise a question. I don't know if you have an opinion on on this. Um, Scotty Wilbekin faced Maccabi. He had, uh, I would say. 
great reception at Tel Aviv. People applauded him. He was uh, celebrated by the club. They gave him this will poster, be king. will be king, right? And then he drops one from eight. Do you think these celebrations before the game affect the player's performance? I think it does. I think this. I, I I remember I was listening to one of the podcasts where I'm not sure if the active player spoke about it or he just shared the example, but during one of those re returning nights and big celebrations before the game, one player asked his coach, I think it was, it could have been coach Etra Messina, he asked his coach to start the game off the bench, although he was a regular starter, just to, you know, calm down his emotions, just to prepare better for the start of the game because it really affects and it could have been a part of that. Look, I've never been this type of player uh, at this level, but the game against your ex-team, and especially if you have been for a long time there, it's it's just something special. When when the, when the schedule is out, you are one of the first things that you do is that you know, you're know skim, uh, skimming through the schedule. And one of the first things you see is definitely that game against your ex-team because you played there, there are some relationships, whether that's good, whether that's bad. You you want to go there. You want to play for the fans, for the maybe to prove to prove a point. And those celebrations, like five right five minutes before the the game, also could get into your mind, could throw out of your rhythm because we know some players could be really superstitious with their routines pre-game. So I, I even think some teams could do this on purpose. Like we see Jalger is giving mm -hmm. out debossed. Uh, he who played, played who played six, six games. games. I mean, come on now. Although Why I don't believe that, that it can affect D boss. I mean, he has no I'm, big feelings about yeah, Jagger returning but, to the to this city after six years. I'm not I'm not saying it works for everyone, but I I would just yeah. could not not mention that Jagger actually gave him uh, this thank you D boss for six games in the Euroleague where he played yeah. sixty total minutes. I think so. It was just, but but yeah, I think it, it definitely affects players. Uh, not all of them, but the majority, I would say. Yeah, that's true. L let's do a top eight tracker. Uh, we have most of the teams have six uh, games to play, uh, excluding some some postponed FS games that will more be, right uh, seven. And I think Fenerbahce they also have seven and their opponents that they had so those that's games postponed. Real Madrid and uh, Armani. Uh, Zvezda? No, Zvezda no. Yeah, no, four teams. Armani, Olympia for sure. Armani, Real Madrid, yeah. FS mm. and Fenerbahce. Yeah, uh, we're basically one month away from concluding the regular season. And now we have a, a little bit more clearer playoff, potential playoff picture after this double run week. And let's try to rank those teams from the most likely to the least likely to qualify to the top eight. And probably we all agree that we can, uh, we can agree that we have five teams qualifying to the playoffs, like Olympiacos, Madrid, Barca, Monaco, Fenerbahce, until some horrible things starts to happen. Uh, we can probably rule out, not probably, but we can rule out Alba, Asvel, Panathinaikos, and Bayern Munich, I would say. And I would sure. I just leave uh, Red Star in this conversation because we also have a, uh, we will also include uh, Emporio Armani Milan. So just, just to be clear, we'll try to rank Basconia, Partizan, Maccabi, Jalgiris, FS, Valencia, Virtus, Empoli, Armani, Milan, and, and Zvezda in, in this conversation. So in your eyes, which uh, which team has is, is the most likely to make the playoffs? 
in this situation. As I said 10 minutes ago, I think Maccabi gets the sixth seed uh, because of the favorable home schedule and they're playing in a good way. And probably I see a six and seven spot by Basconia and, and Maccabi because uh, we talked about Maccabi already. Basconia have... Uh, uh, right now, the matchup with Maccabi, but after in, in in Tel Aviv, but after that they have Zvezda away, and then three home games: Alba, Fener, and Aswell. I think all three are doable, and they're probably getting one of the three away games that are left for them: either Zvezda, either Olympiakos, or Maccabi. So I I see them at the seventh spot, to be honest, actually. Yeah, basically, I'm taking Maccabi right now, also because I expect them to win this week. And, and if they do, that's already a big advantage. Huge. And, and then we, we've talked about their remaining schedule. So I do put them first in, in the list of those teams that you mentioned. Mm. Do you agree that Basconia, uh, Basconia are the favorites for the seventh spot? Or do uh, you see? Honestly, because, I agree. I also put them at the sixth and seventh I seed. I do agree. It's kind of hard to disagree on this, although you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> but but I do agree with that, and I also put close to, to them as as the third team and still making the playoffs. FS. Okay. Uh, they have a crucial game now uh, with Partizan. Uh, Partizan is in the playoff race seriously. No, Partizan seriously. has four teams right now that played in the final four. Mm -hmm. And I don't care that three of those games are in uh, Stark Arena with 35,000 fans probably inside of for those games. Yeah, but the schedule is very tough. And four final final four teams, and then you have Monaco away. <laughs> yeah. And the, the last, and the last game, Panathinaikos at home, which could be an easy win, but y you don't know if, if you'll have any chances uh, to Still. make the playoffs on, on the 14th of April. So... I do put uh, FS ahead of them, but that's again with uh, a special clause that they win their head-to-head -head game this week. Huge. They must do it. And also FS still has to play Real Madrid, so it becomes a double game week for them. So I, I do rank them Maccabi, Bosconi, FS right now, and Partizan probably Ninth. out. out. Uh, Wait a minute, you are underestimating Jalgers. They beat... Uh, they went two and zero in the double week. I know they had a very good game versus Alba Berlin. That was probably the highlight of the Euroleague season. Top play of the year, do you think? For sure, man. What did you like the most? The one hundred points scored I love in, the quality. in both teams. I love the quality, <laughs> the free throws, the <laughs> three points, the, the, the three throws. throws. <laughs> both. both I'm, not, I'm talking about both teams. I'm not talking about Jalgir. It's just you know, man. Uh, so of course I put. I'm I'm not putting Jalgiris last in this list. Like like when I rank them, have them tenth. Maccabi, Basconia, Efes, Partizan, and then probably Jalgiris. Yeah, because they have an advantage over Virtus, over Armani, over Zvezda. Mm -hmm. They still have to play Valencia at home, and I don't think that Maccabi Valencia is is making it to the playoffs. So so yeah, Jalgiris. I could see them finishing on fifty percent, for example or even 18 wins, 16 losses. It's just that I don't see them making the playoffs. But even being in contention for Jalgiris is it's a great. huge success. So, uh, But the double game week, I mean, come on, what, what, did, what did we expect? 
they faced Alba and Aswell and who casually decided that David Light is just, you know, doing the load management stuff in the EuroLeague right now. The Cola has been doing it for a while. Uh, we we should check it, but basically in double game weeks this season, he he plays one game and the other game he rests. He needs okay. to be ready for That's the French Kawhi finals. Treatment. Although we 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 should mention that the Colo uh, surpassed uh, Juan Carlos Navarro in all-time scoring list. Yeah, he's number Huge. two now behind Spanulis, and he did that on a poor game versus Jalgiris. He needed eight points, I think. He got seven early, and and we needed to wait for his uh, next shot quite a while. But he did score. He just he made that shot, and he was benched again. Yeah, he he finished <laughs> uh, with nine points, and uh, that's a huge achievement. That just shows how long he's been here and performing at a very high level. But guys, do you agree that the eighth spot is decided this week? Mm. Partizan a little matchup. Like I'm, if Partizan wins, that's two wins away from the ninth spot from FS. Yeah. I mean, Not if FS Jaguars. loses the game for sure, I mean, FS has a double game week. If they win both games, then to me, they're definitely in the playoffs. But if they lose, and especially if they lose to Partizan, then probably Partizan it's just, takes, it's just, takes their place. It's just incredible to me. Like you have a FS playing twice this week against Real Madrid and Partizan and two great teams this season and you are you have we have no idea the outcome of this game because I wouldn't be surprised if FS win both games by 20. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose both games playing the way they did uh, you know in in this double week. They must approach these games as finals right now. But that they showed how many games there were 27 games. They yeah. showed the right approach and probably their full potential in what Three games this season. Mm -hmm. Two times Four versus games. Barca. Two times against Olympiacos. Barca. Once, for sure. At least once versus Olympiacos. I'd say that's not, not that's not enough. Even if we are forgetting three games, you know. And you know, more. we should also say that okay, right now they're not in a very good position, but it could have been worse. They barely beat Aswell on the twenty fourth of February, if you remember. They were so close to losing that game. It was was a nail biter, and even versus Panathinaikos, uh, I think against Alba it wasn't, as well. Wasn't, against wasn't Paolo. easy. Yeah, but at the same point, they were so close of getting that victory in Monaco, or they lost against Valencia by one point. So you know, it's just part of the regular no, season. I'm saying that the losses and expected wins. Okay, you're right, but at this point of the season, Asvel Villabon. I mean, how can you have struggles versus them right now? Barca lost the game against Asphalt, so I mean, it I, just happens. It's I'm just, just saying at this part of the season, when they're all already in some sort of load management mode, when, when the Colo sometimes plays, sometimes doesn't play, uh, it's obvious that they care about the French League right now more than, than EuroLeague. It, it's normal to lose in November or December when, I mean, teams are still trying to get as many wins as possible. But at this point of the season, Panathinaikos and Asphalt should be easy wins for everybody. But somehow, it's not. And I do agree that this week will definitely decide FS faith hmm. this season. So we are talking about basically five teams 
four teams fighting for the last three spots. Okay, there is Jalgris, uh, f the fifth team. Do you agree that uh, the other teams are quite out from the conversation? Like Virtus Bologna, Olympia Milano, they have six wins in a row, the hottest team right now in the EuroLeague. Do you think they still have a chance? Because we agree, we agreed way before that 19 wins is a must. And and that would mean that uh, both Mi Milano and uh, Bologna have to win uh, all of their games. Yeah, the, and even the current situation shows that uh, 18 wins is not enough. Just yeah. having this percentage of just having one win over the 50%, it's just not enough. But there's this interesting thing about uh, Milan. Uh, I'm really not surprised that they're making this late run and try to create this miracle. And I was really disappointed and pissed when even starting from the head coach, Etra Messina, he kind of ruled his team out of the playoff picture pretty early. And he said that we should focus on just improving our game uh, game by game and also building on momentum for the Italian league, basically. Although when you think about it, when they all uh, when they have all their players healthy, when all of those players kind of come to the moment where they reach their uh, best momentum of the season, or at least being on very high uh, of of of, uh, of their momentum, uh, this team can beat any team playing home away. It doesn't matter. There's a reason why I put them in for as the first seed in my preseason power rankings because this is a very deep, very talented uh, team. And as soon as all of those players got back, at, with the addition of Shabazz Napier, who helped a lot uh, at Ramesina and Milan's team, this is a very dangerous team. And I wouldn't be surprised of them making this miracle, even having this crazy schedule. I know that it's very unlikely because they will have to win how many, like 15 games in a row. But when you take one game, game by game, with all the players included, they're capable of beating every opponent. And it doesn't matter who are playing, really. I think it all started yeah, well, 15 too, games, too late. 15 games in the EuroLeague in a row sounds crazy. It just sounds all started impossible. Too, too late. It's it's not going to happen. They, they won't make it to the playoffs. Uh, if they sign Shabazz earlier, if they didn't lose some of those games that were there for the taking, like they lost twice to Alba Berlin, for example, they would be in a better position right now and it, uh, we would have a sim different conversation. But right now, to think they can win all of the games remaining, I think it's just too crazy. Seven games remaining, so they would need to win 13 in a row. Yeah. Nah. To me, the thing that pisses me the most is that you play 11 rounds without a point guard. I mean, Naz Mitrilong was your first option as your ball handler. Yeah. I have no idea why you wait for, uh, like, uh, Shawan Shields got injured in round four. Kevin Pangos got injured in round 10. Shabazz Napier arrived at round 22 only. Mm. And uh, in those 11 games, they went uh, three and eight. And uh, they had the best defense that still, you see this every game. Like they just held, they just held two of the best teams uh, offensively, Olympiacos and Partizan in the last two weeks at 62, 62 points. Teams that are scoring 80 plus every game easily. That's crazy. And with Shabazz Napier, uh, you know, there and uh, the other players getting back, it just created this domino effect where everyone is playing in their roles. 
And, you know, Billy Barron can play off the ball. Shabazz Napier can play together with Pangos, which works really well up to this point. Uh, you know, Messina also made some adjustments, probably the ones that, you know, he couldn't make before because he just simply didn't have any players. Like uh, playing Meli and Voitman together really unlocked their offense right now. And, and who would have thought that a five of Napier, Pangos, Voitman, and Meli, four the, of these players could be great defensively. Like that just shows to me that, you know, some teams are prepared and, you know, the habits are there defensively, especially because if, if this four probably was an FS, we wouldn't see the same good defense, you know. So that's, you know, the, um, uh, you know, everything to the coach. But uh, I agree that it's too late and they can't really win seven games in a row. And you know, uh, when they had all these problems in the first part of the season, they didn't sign Shabazz Napier. They signed Timotelu Vukabaro, a team that that was <laughs> struggling with uh, basically creating shots without a playing without a playmaker. Decided to go for a player like Luva Vukabaro, and I'm not saying he's a bad player, but that's no, not, he's not, not, a bad not that's not what they needed at the time, and they signed Shabazz and it was just too late. You can see that he's playing very well. Finally, we have the answer. Is Shabazz Napier a potentially good player for EuroLeague? Yes, we can see that right now. We were waiting for him last season. It just didn't happen. But um, as good as they are, they are playoff material. If, they, if you put them in the playoffs, they could beat anybody in a best of five series. They could make it to the final four and everything, but it's just too late, in my opinion. And Shabazz, uh, Shabazz, Shavon Shields got yeah. injured again. Yeah, that's the, just a shame, man. I mean, such a great player and having so many injuries recently. This season, even last season, he had some problems. Like, I, I feel so sad about it. Yeah, a few years ago in the 18-19 season, Jargiris probably created the biggest miracle of the current format EuroLeague, winning six uh, remaining games of the regular season and making it to the playoffs, although they were like 9 and 15, I think, approaching the last stretch of the season. I tried to check for another miracle that happened, but it's really, it's a really, it was a really tough <coughs> task. Although probably we can count on Panathinaikos when they made this Rick Pitino move, they won six of the last seven uh, games. Although they were nine and thirteen uh, approaching the uh, the final uh, run of the regular season. So yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a really hard task to Milan for making another miracle, and it's it rarely happens in this year league. I mean. Virtus and Valencia, they're also two teams that I don't really see in the playoffs. The schedule is really tough, and it's not like they're playing very well recently. And Zvezda also, I mean, they just wasted their lead <laughs> versus Bayern Munich versus Panathinaikos. They lost three games to teams that are not even competing for playoffs. So that explains everything. And even the Campasso effect is not as special as maybe we thought it could be. So yeah, basically I think it's between FS, Jalgiris, Maccabi, Basconia, Partizan. How many wins do you think Jalgiris gets? Jalgiris gets in the remaining schedule. 
So I'm gonna go with two. What two. do they have? They have Olympiacos, Fener, uh the next two. Monaco, Valencia, Maccabi, Bayern. Bayern. I'm gonna go with two. Uh I'm gonna say Valencia and Maccabi. Home the, I'm gonna say they'll, they'll, they'll beat Valencia and then the the other win where it comes from, I, I don't know. Maybe one of these home games, maybe Monaco has a bad night mm. or Maccabi or maybe the regular season uh finisher with Bayern Munich that would be the last game of the season but to two, make the playoffs are not enough to make the playoffs they would probably need four could I could do it with three maybe maybe the but they need some luck then because yeah. they don't have uh head-to-head -head advantages versus teams like uh Partizan, Basconia, FS. Maccabi would be a crucial uh, game actually because they lost by one point or by two points? By one. By one. I First mean, we, we, we'll see where they are facing Maccabi because by the time we yeah. will know how much that game means to both teams. So Because it's on, on the 6th of April. Right now, I mean, on Saturday, uh, we had the Independence Day. And so basically, we went to a restaurant with, with, with family. And my father, out of nowhere, started saying to me that he has a feeling Schalke is gonna beat Olympiakos and I'm saying to him no <laughs> why why would they uh, I, you can tell me that they will beat Monaco Valencia or Maccabi why Olympiakos of course uh, on that day he didn't even know that uh, they, they will lose to Ritas in, in, in Lithuanian league but that was a crazy conversation <laughs> he, he said to me, like, yeah, I know Olympiakos is the best team in the league right now, but I just have this feeling. The national proud. It, who, who am I to, <laughs> to, to, to talk about feelings? We, but might, we might be sitting here in a Q&A pod yeah. later this week, and, uh, and, you know, your father is right, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Olympiakos, they dropped some games against Asvel, uh, for instance, playing away, uh, or Restar playing at home, so it... It also depends on in what what kind of approach they will have for this game because but the problem is that Olympiakos is different but there's for sure that factor that for the biggest stars of the Euroleague usually when they co come to play uh, teams like like Jalgiris like uh, Villarban or Alba they don't really treat it the same as some other games and if home team for the, in this case Jargiris uh, plays their best game of the season some some miracles can happen ah, but if they're seriously running for the first seed they they need this win because Madrid is is close to them I'm I'm just thinking that right now at this stage of the season it's it's more about uh, the quality because how Jalgiris got their wins and got to this place where they are right now by hustling, fighting, um, playing very hard defense. But you would always see that they're lacking quality and they were so dependent on Keenan Evans. Then they replaced him with Isaiah Taylor after that injury. Then Brasdekis had a very good month. Uh, but again, now we're seeing that Taylor has some problems. With the same hamstring. With, so, I don't know. They just don't have enough quality in my eyes. They're overperforming, I think. And even the metrics should show that they're overperforming. It, it, it's never been seen that a team with such a bad assist-to-turnover ratio is a winning team in a game of basketball. They beat Aswell. That was a dead game. You know, 
what assist to turnover ratio they had in the end of the game. They had like nine assists, 13 turnovers. So it's it's basically Jalgiris is doing something that they are playing against the modern basketball trends. Somehow they're winning, but I don't really see them in the playoffs. We see them in the ninth spot actually, but you know, before the uh, before the game, I said uh, that you know, actually, you know, Alba Jalgiris is meeting you know Alba and then as well two of the worst teams, and I said you know, yeah, but Jalgiris is actually between the worst teams right now, maybe the third worst team because their net rating in the last six games is the last in the Euroleague. Even worse than Alba, even worse than Aswell. They have, I think, the second worst offense and the first worst defense. They're not good on, on both sides of the court. And, you know, yesterday the domestic league game against Ritas was a, a great example of, of their current uh, situation. I think they're just overperforming. You have, like, close to them in the 10th seed right now, FS, a team that's clearly underperforming. And then you have Jalgiris that's clearly overperforming. Mm. And then you have Maccabi, Partizan, and Basconia that are basically performing the way they should and, and fighting for the playoffs. Mm, so how your full list from the 6th to 14th seed looks like? Right. Uh, we got stuck in this uh, conversation. <laughs> Let's try. Jalgiris, but it's Maccabi, Basconia, Efes, Partizan, Jalgiris, and then the others, uh, it's a pretty close, uh, I'd say Ar Armani, um, Virtus, Zvezda and Valencia. Okay, I have uh, Maccabi, Basconia, I'll go with Partizan in the playoffs as the eighth seed. I have uh, Efes, Jalgiris, uh, Olympia, Virtus, Valencia and Zvezda. Yeah, my list looks pretty similar. I Who have, you have as the eighth spot? Uh, I have Maccabi over Basconia just because they are playing Basconia at home. And for the eighth spot, I just have Partizan because uh, I know that they're having this crazy schedule right now, facing these top-seeded uh, teams. But at the same time, I just trust their quality and consistency. They, they showed in the second half more when unpredictability of uh, FS team. I mean, because other than that, that there is this belief that this team can be great Again, I mean, nothing else shows that they can actually exactly. be great for the last stretch of the season, especially uh, given their health status of, of some, some of the main players. But of course, I'm not ruling anybody out because what this year league uh, teach me throughout those last couple of years that you cannot rule anybody out no matter what is happening. But just, you know, making some, some conclusions, I just give an upper hand for Partizan. But I have FS as a ninth seed just because I feel that they can always uh, surprise us all and suddenly start playing serious basketball. After that, I have uh, Jalgiris, although their playoff chances uh, look unlikely, given the talent, but it kind of was a conversation for the whole season. And playing a few games at home, it can really boost them for the final stretch. I have Milan as my 11th uh, seed team because uh, I believe they can be great for a longer stretch. Uh, if they can be amazing for uh, 13 wins in a row, it's it's not very likely, but they have uh, talent and I hope that Shovan Shields uh, injury is not that serious. And I actually then have Valencia, Virtus and Red Star. Mm. So it's pretty similar list that we had. We actually have some data from Darius Garwalis. Uh, he updates us with the uh, how 
difficult the schedule is for, for the remaining routes, uh, rounds for all those teams. And actually among those teams we uh, discussed Maccabi has the easiest schedule uh, given the fact that they, they will play four of their six games at home and also this percentage is based on the strength of the opponents of how many wins do they have and also there's some special ratio on if they're playing home or away so Maccabi is in the best position among those discussed teams. Then FS follows Red Star, Fener, and actually the three teams with the the most difficult schedule is starting from the top: Virtus, Valencia, and Milan. And of course, there's Partizan fourth. Uh, we will have this da data published uh, today, uh, I think. And yeah, going to the last part of the podcast, we will try to include a the new Mike James segment. You mean a new segment, uh, which I I could try to call catch and shoot our quick reactions of on the best. Uh, social media activities, but when I uh, I searched <laughs> through the social media feed uh, that was created by basketball players, by Euroleague teams, or whatsoever, I just understood that there's nothing to else to discuss about except from Mike James uh, Twitter feed from Sunday, I think. And I will just <laughs> share some some the greatest conversations that he, he had, and I, I'll just wait for 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 your reaction. And actually, I think that. All the conversation starting started from a simple simple tweet where Mike James shared his UFA Champions League uh, group draw that he got playing with some Saint Mirren. Saint Mirren. This is a Scottish team, right? Yep. Oh, I saw that picture. What happened under in the in the comment section? Uh, because the next tweet I saw was, "Hey guys, uh, yo, partisan fans, chill. Uh, we have a game against you only in April. Go find another team." So exactly, partisan fans happened. So. <laughs> the first reaction, instead of playing FIFA, you should worry about Madara Nexum locking up your ass in Monaco. Yeah. Oh. And uh, Mike uh, just responded that, yeah, I'll worry about that game whenever it, it come around. Lol. Better start preparing. Uh, we don't want you to cry about it again. The fan responded and he just said that I'll worry more about playoffs as should you. Uh Another comment from from the Serbian uh, Twitter profile, dude, you got you lost like twice in Belgrade in about two weeks. Your opinion means nothing here. Uh, then another Serbian tweets, you'll become a good player the moment you start respecting your coach and God's blessing to play for such a legend. As long as you keep running your big mouth, you'll just be a little crybaby and mid player. KP and XM gonna humble you. Mike James just responded that I think your opinion sucks and I disagree, but Sasha, my dog. Uh, hey bro, uh, what are your chances against Matias Lesort after switching one on one? Uh, uh, very bad. So that was a question, but there was a statement included. And Mike, actually, that was an epic uh, comeback. He said that one on one doesn't exist in my world. Extra help or double always coming. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's a great unboxing great. one coming your way, man. <laughs> of course, uh, Serbian fans, they didn't prevail. There was the response, you are not KD or Ky Kyrie. Relax, brother. At least go to the final four one, one time. And Mike just responded that already did that. He was in the final four with the Basconia team. And just go watch some basketball and you will see. Again, and you could you could carry water and towels around for punter for who lol, 
Mike, you should better focus on your defense. You haven't watched a lot of games, I can tell. Uh, and yeah, just after this whole thread responding to Serbian fans, he just tweeted that I didn't get a tweet from y'all in my 11 years playing professional basketball. Now, all of a sudden, I'm just y'all uh, only tag. Lots of laugh. Uh, What's wrong with, what what like, is wrong with these people? <laughs> I want to say, what the fuck is wrong with I these people? Know, Dude is playing FIFA. I mean, he takes time. What, 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 I just, but but he takes time to respond. for all those yeah. responses. Yeah, I mean, How much fun he had, do you think? A lot. A lot. A lot. I, and I love that he's responding. I would do the same thing also. But at the just same time, a great time. Uh, at the same time, these the, these people being so obsessed with with their partisans and and others, like, what's the point of all of this? Just try to enjoy basketball once in a while. And ah. the guy is just playing FIFA on his uh, free time because, as we know, he's injured. He didn't play uh, in Basconia. He didn't play in, in the French league on, on weekend. So uh, I see him recently tweeting about yeah. the Premier League title race, like Arsenal mm, and Arsenal Man City. Something. Yeah, so cool. That That's cool. I, I love it. And, no, and all, in Riti's eyes, that's incredible. <laughs> and it looks like these guys, every single day when they wake up, all they have on their minds is, Partisan, oh, <laughs> Exum is gonna defeat you. Like <laughs> you're making <laughs> you're making this Euroleague thing sort of a Diablo computer game where you need to face all these bosses and you might die. The warrior has to go through all the enemies. It's just basketball, chill. Like watch, enjoy. We love the game, but you look in in these conversations. You look stupid. Mike doesn't. Mike looks smart with his comebacks. You guys look stupid. You know, this looks like Diablo free game with Matthias Lesor supposed oh, to for be sure. supposed to be the last boss. In, in but, the but fifth you, act, you're but, facing Matthias, but you're never one on one because there's Yamadar. <laughs> the double team coming here. Yes. <laughs> I don't have that specific tweet, but I just saw that all those messages, all this hate, is just massaging his boredom during his free time. Just that's how Mike James. I love it. it. They're trying to it. live uh, rent free in his head. You know, they they think maybe they are getting into his head, but I don't really think that's happening. But to me, the greatest trash talk of the week, if we are talking about social media, like we cannot mention Draymond Green's Ooh. response to Dylan Brooks. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the. And I was so surprised that it ha actually happened before their matchup. It was it's just perfect drama. And, you know, the, the, the best tweet I saw, the best reaction I saw is, you know, the, the picture is the NBA has gone zero minutes without being uh, uh, too dramatic uh, about anything, you know, not, and not playing on the court, actually. But that was a, one of the all-time responses for, for from Draymond to Dylan Brooks, and and the fact that they played against each other the next day, yeah, that's just NBA, you know, that's content, baby. Well, Draymond is a very vocal guy. He has his own podcast, and you can be sure if if you say something about Draymond, he he's gonna respond. Something. He's gonna respond. But honestly, I think everything is uh, is an overreaction. But I am on Draymond's side rather than on Dylan Brooks because I hate Dylan Brooks, not as a man, but as a player. I, I hate his game, honestly. I don't think that's winning basketball, what he's doing. And when he's saying that Draymond is only good because he's on the Warriors, 
Draymond oh, up to this day is still one of the best defenders in the league that can guard all five positions and yeah of course he's lucky to be in a position with the two of the best shooters in the world and and to win all these titles but I don't think Dylan Brooks is in a position to question Draymond no and I mean <laughs> Dylan Brooks even without saying anything about his game whether you know I like it or not whether you like it or not you know saying that Draymond is lucky to be in that position just says that okay that's probably trash talk but you just look stupid saying that I mean yeah he is the heart of that team he's the the the, the best defender of the team he does so well and you know you could say Draymond is nothing without Steph and Clay but those two without Draymond I don't know how far they go you know without this type of player and you know playing at such a level for the for the whole career so I mean he said it he said it perfectly well you know if you if you would be uh insert the amount of all-stars that he have if you would have been on team USA if you would be four-time NBA champion if you were going to be defensive player of the year you would be talking a lot more <laughs> than than I do right now I I love that quote if you're looking for reasons why Memphis is not going to win <laughs> look anything, no look no gosh. further than this idiot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he took the trash do talk. Do you to think do level. you think do you think that was uh you know scripted or he just went you know nah, in a full improvisation? I mode. think Draymond just does his thing and everything is pretty spontaneous probably. Yeah, he's just That was just destroying and he is just Mr. Natural. No, the better question would be if you're even your own teammates like playing with you. I'm like, okay, this is it. This is it. <laughs> I, that sounds like some inside stuff, no? Yeah, it does. Of course. I wouldn't want to play with Dylan Brooks. He's like a black hole. It's not like he has good numbers, but he takes wild shots from bad positions. His decision-making is... I would say respectfully rather questionable and it, it, he has skills he's still pretty young he might develop his game and become better but at the moment I hate watching Dylan Brooks <laughs> honestly he already made a huge jump you know in his in his uh, growth yeah for sure and he's gonna have a good career and he's gonna earn a lot of money from playing basketball and all that stuff but it's, it's just that some players you do see as winning players and some players you'd see as Dylan Brooks. <laughs> yeah, so... You just joined the, the go, Draymond Green. Go set. and follow Draymond Green to get this crazy content and to make your social media life uh, more entertaining. Also, go and, following, go, go and follow Mike James. I actually didn't notice that he put this uh, on his profile that he's explorer of my purpose and rock, paper, scissors expert. Uh, also, my suggestion to follow Wade Baldwin, uh, he, he made a great tweet last week. Uh, there was some short video clip of Atlanta Hawks playing actual defense, and it was presented With as the a new coach. Uh, it was presented as a big thing on, on Twitter, and Wade Baldwin just responded, quoted the video and responded, take that clip and multiply it for 38 minutes out of 40. That's your league basketball. So that was that was pretty bold tweet. That's a great one. Our social media team also sparked a great discussion. There was this uh, tweet and graphic with the biggest talents and the 
lowest, smallest recognition. There were a lot of interesting responses like uh, Lajic, Darius Thompson, Mike Kotzer, Shields, Sigma, Carson Edwards or Goodrich, Deshaun Pierre, even Kaledzakis, one of the Yorgos Kaledzakis probably, Yamadar, Niklas Wimberg, Thomas Lockup, Yakuba Utara, Shannon Evans, Raul Lopez, Wanzi uh, Colson. Oh, Legendary Laurel Lopez. What would be your your pick uh, that you that you would tweet? A lot of picks, good picks here. Just one. Uh, Give me just one. Just one. We already gave like the underrated player. I said like Matt Costello a couple of weeks ago, but I think this the recognition part. I will just give it to Rodrigue Beaubois because you know he's been he's overshadowed by Shane Larkin, Vasilya Mitic, and Will Clyburn, and just. The talent he has and the recognition he gets is probably one of the biggest gaps in the EuroLeague there is. That's a very good choice because, you know, we're talking about an NBA champion who could have had a much better career in the NBA if it wasn't for the injury. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about a player that was a high-volume scorer for Basconia. And all of a sudden in FS, he's very important, very consistent, and he's been doing this for, for years. It's just that the team has at least two stars, and right now you can say three. And a star coach, I forgot to mention. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and those three people are taking all the attention. So, Yeah, that's a very good choice, actually. I couldn't come up with a better example right now. I have, I had, you know, you know, Darius Thompson, Costello, uh, Bonzi Carlson, maybe, I mean, but, maybe Gabby Deck. But sorry, yeah, Gabby Deck in the same conversation because you know Real Madrid have mm -hmm. so many good players. But if we're talking about Darius Thompson not getting recognition, and you go to the Euroleague website right now, there's literally a picture of Darius picture Thompson him. saying the past masters dropping dimes. <laughs> so I, I believe that. Okay. Right now, this he day is he getting is getting his recognition. And Gabi Deck is a good choice because uh, Madrid is always stacked. And I mean, so, players like Musa, Hezonia, and the big guys like Yabusele and Tavares, they make more spectacular plays, more highlight material. But Gabi Deck is just an old school, consistent basketball player. Silent killer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a pretty, pretty good example as well. And you know that, or you mentioned Tavares, Yabuzela, and all the others, and there is, you know, Sergio Yui or Rudy Fernandez who is make who are making those crazy shots. Yeah, yeah. Or the last second ones or the game winners, and and you know they get all the attention. And they also yeah. have uh, have big names because of their history. So when when Yui does something or Rudy does something, it's gonna be on social media. People will talk about it. And when Gabidek does a good post up. It's not necessarily <laughs> who, that, that who highlighted. Who wants to see layups, you know? <laughs> I actually had this inner uh, discussion with myself. Uh, of course, this is a different type of player than Costello or Darius Thompson. These are now obvious and easy, easy uh, picks for the current season. But I thought about a bigger picture and about all those GOAT conversations in Europe, how everybody... But it, when 
as soon as you uh, come off of this GOAT topic, usually you think about players like Vasilis Panoulis, Juan Carlos Navarro, and, and etc. And when I saw Nando De Colo surpassing Juan Carlos Navarro being the second uh, top scorer in all-time yearly history, also he's the top, top, top scorer of all European international competitions, uh, I just thought, did actually De Colo get enough recognition for his talent, skill, and what if he played? Because I thought that, I think that we all knew that, yeah, he's great, he's an amazing scorer, and etc. But I, I have to be honest, maybe it's a problem of my social bubble, but I never heard him being really discussed in all of those conversations. Although his his CV is just amazing, he's a two-time Euroleague, Euroleague champion, EuroCup champ. Uh, once he became the Euroleague, Euroleague MVP, regular season MVP, Final Four MVP, uh, three-time All-Euroleague team, Eurobasket champion. He won silver in Olympics and Eurobasket, bronze and World Cup and Eurobasket. In seven of eight uh, of ten Euroleague seasons, he was the top ten scorer in the league. He was a top three scorer in the, uh, of the league for four straight seasons, and his career average is 15.4 points per game on 54% two-point shooting, 42% three-point shooting, and 93% free-throw shooting. I think that, I don't know, at 50, least I 40, feel- 90 for a career? That's, that's the thing. It's not just one season thing. It was throughout his whole career. But you cannot expect a player to be mentioned as much when he's playing for CSKA Moscow as the players who win titles for Olympiakos, Panathinaikos, and other legendary clubs like we're talking about a team that, bases yeah we're history. talking about the team that that has been always overpowered with money mm. always the richest team always the best roster uh nando de colo playing next to milos teodosic uh, nenad kristic sony weems or whatever superstar lineups they had at the time and then we're creating legends about spanulis winning for Olympiacos with a roster where their fourth best player probably was somebody that people didn't even know. So yeah. for Pretty sure, for sure, as a basketball player, the Colo is, is in the same conversation, but it's just that the fans are not talking about him so much. It's pretty obvious why. <laughs> Honestly, that, that's your point just to me shows that, you know, Euroleague is a club league. Yeah. Again, just one more proof, you know, and of this whole conversation that you just had. If mm -hmm. he won with Fenner when he was there, yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem like, that he was, for not, example, he was not at his peak. Yeah, if, if he and won Fener, with Fenner, Fener, they were not an MVP title with Fenner, a Euroleague title with Fenner, it would be a different yeah. conversation. But right now, all these uh, accolades he achieved with Ceska Moscow, yeah, that 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 basically makes them a bit undervalued. In, in this European basketball context. Although, yeah, Spanulis created this Cinderella story with Olympiacos, but probably you cannot say the same with Diamantidis, uh, who is also, uh, you know, appears in all those code conversations, yeah. because you cannot say that Panathinaikos, they, they were lacking of talent. It, it, this this was a super team of 2000s, uh, probably in the beginning of the last yeah, decade. Yeah, but again, that's Panathinaikos. But that's Greek. And you, that, that's what I, well, what I also think, that fan bases between those teams also means a lot of uh, putting some narratives uh, for yeah. those uh, gold conversations. And also, d don't forget that he's French player. There's no big basketball passion or culture uh, there in France. And probably the, what also affected him that on the French national team, he always played with some really talented NBA, NBA players. 
And okay, Navarro also, he had uh, Pau Gasol on his team, but uh, Spanulis, they were basically the most talented players on their, their teams. So it probably also kind of affected his status and all those conversations. It's funny how two best basketball nations, France and Spain, as you said, don't have a strong basketball culture, but they're the best. <laughs> yeah. In Spain, maybe it's different. They have this culture, but it's more, more like a local culture. It's not like they have those crazy passionate fans behind like uh, Greeks or Serbians. There is cult basketball culture. I mean, they they have great attendance for their home mm -hmm. games. They're not traveling. They're not known from yeah, some yeah. crazy fan bases. Again, but but it's yeah, just that culture. that France produces yeah. the best talent. Second second Ob obviously the, yeah second after USA probably so. That's crazy. And just for, for the very, very, very end, I uh, have the last question about uh, Vasily Misic. He just hired a new F NBA agent, uh, which probably indicates that he has hopes of making it to the NBA this summer. And just to clar cl clarify for w once again for one more time, uh, he chose Wasserman's Jason Rahn as his new representative for the NBA, but Mishko Raznatovic, who he works with since 2010 from, from these mega times when Jokic was also there, he still remains his agent in, in Europe. But this move, of course, you can think that might, has, uh, might have his impact for increasing his chances of moving to the NBA. And what, what is also interesting that Jason Rain or Ran, I probably am for sure I'm misspelling his, uh, mispronouncing his name, his surname. Uh, what's interesting that he worked for Sam Presti in the OKC around 10 years ago. He was hired by Sam Presti. He has some uh, great players on Thunder roster, like Shea Gilgis and Alexander, uh, some, some other guys. So maybe it can have an impact uh, given the fact that uh, I remember I was interviewing Mishko Raznatovic last year and he said something that NBA should change some rules because now basically Misic was like in a prison uh, of Thunder because they have his draft rights. They're not signing him, but they're not trading him. So maybe this this new agent will help, you know, to find some agreements with Thunder, whether to play for them or mm, for him to be uh, traded. But other than that, what do you think? Which team would be the best NBA fit for I don't think he's playing for the Thunder, to be honest. I think there's already happened too much. I think the best fit for him is would be Chicago Bulls. And where were where their interests from Chicago, I think this summer? There think were they some were talks, mentioned right? in those yeah. rumors. So imagine what he could have done this season uh with Lonzo Ball injured for the mm. uh, for all year. And you know, Ayo Dosumnu was their starting point guard. For the for the season and and still is and I think uh, if Chicago goes after him that would be an interesting move and would make sense both for Mitic because he could have playing time and uh, you know intelligent move for for the Bulls because you they don't know the situation with Lonzo Ball and his knee so if they they're keeping him you know. With Mitic, you could have a nice option, safety option, and you you know you could be getting a nice player in return, and you could still have Ayo Dosumnu, you know, as a role player there. Uh, Mitic would be going into a situation where you know Lonzo Ball, nobody knows his health situation, and he could have playing time, so it would be a win-win for everyone. I think uh, it could be a nice option, you know, Chicago. If his prior priority is to have a big role on the team, then that's one of the better 
destinations, obviously. We don't know about Chicago. Maybe they're going to go in full rebuilding mode and trading their best players. Their best pieces. They have big contracts with DeRozan, Levine, uh, Vucevic, right? Uh, but if if we're talking about Mitic being on a contender, mm-hmm. then there's no chance for him to be a big role player. That's the thing. So Chicago is a possibility. Oklahoma, I don't know. They're developing talent. It's not like Mitic is, is 21 or 22 years old. So it's it's kind of a difficult question because when we're talking about teams competing for the NBA title, they all have good point guards. They all have quality and you can, at best you can be a backup. I'm not sure if that's what Vasa wants and where he sees himself. So Chicago Bulls, that's, that's a pretty good possibility. Yeah. What, which team out of contender would he, I was trying to think of, you know, a contender as well. It doesn't necessarily, he doesn't necessarily needs a starting uh, point guard position, at least to be involved in the active rotation of, of the backcourt could be enough for his rookie season. Unless he really wants to play uh, for but all those bottom teams. You know, when your rookie season is is when you're 29 years old or 28 years old, uh, it looks different. Uh, so it's not like you're in a position to wait until a team uh, develops their project. Like when uh, Oklahoma right now, they have young players, they might have a, a high draft pick and, and you're, you're in a good position to grow with that team. And, and if you're talking about Vasa on a contender, you're going to play 12 minutes as a backup to some proven point guard. And will Vasa Mitic be able to show his true talents in 12 minutes on the court? I mean, in regular season, you will have some games where somebody's out, somebody's not playing because of load management or some injury, and you will have more minutes to perform, but it's, it's about the playoffs. So if you put Vasa Mitic in any of these playoff teams, like... Let's go through them. Um, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. Philadelphia, Cleveland, in, in West, uh, Denver, uh, Phoenix, Memphis, Sacramento. All of them have special players in, in, in point guard position. Or like Boston Celtics, they have ball-dominant players like Tatum and, and Brown. So... Uh, I don't think that there's a possibility for Vasa to recreate what he does in FS in the NBA. But Chicago Bulls, knowing that they had high hopes for Lonzo Ball and he might be out for a year or, or a year and a half, is, is a good chance for Vasa to prove something. Yeah, let's just hope that his knee situation will be better and will allow him to test those waters this summer. Pretty much... Pretty much it for this podcast it was a pleasant conversations a conversation as always with you gentlemen thanks a lot thanks a lot for everybody who are listening to us and just one reminder this week we have q a session uh at the end of the week so we are already waiting for your questions we will do some separate posts but uh, for sure uh, give us your questions and join our bn plus community on basketnews.com slash plus Press like, subscribe, help us to grow to provide you even more and better content. See you soon.